Anything good about me? Right here. <laughs> Thank you, babe. Uh, awesome. Hey, turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. Continue to uh, learn about King David. We're walking in King David's footsteps. Really, every message is like us looking down at the sand and seeing a footstep and just saying, oh, okay, I, I could follow David's example. David was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. We've been watching how he was a man of faith, a man of the word, that he was a man who worshiped the Lord and cultivated the presence of God in his life. He was a man of, uh, uh, who we've been looking lately at how he responded to trials. Uh, that's not easy stuff to talk about, is it? You know, most of you, you've never been through anything hard, huh? Right? Just messing. Yeah. Like, we live in a broken, fallen world. And people, in fact, we live with ourselves. That's probably the hardest person to live with right there. But King David, as you guys remember, was being chased by King Saul for almost a decade for no reason at all on his own part, right? He didn't do anything to warrant this. And yet the enemy, uh, or I mean uh, Saul himself, Inspired by the enemy out of jealousy and anger and all that and fear, Saul was trying to kill David. And, uh, and so David went through this crazy trial. And we've been learning not only what, why David was such a man after God's own heart and how we can walk in the footsteps of King David. We can follow his example. I'm sure many of you have been learning uh, from David's example how to hear God, how to cultivate the presence of God in your life, and how to pray the word. We've talked about that. Uh, in fact, I've talked to many of you. You're implementing these things into your life. I'm so excited how we're looking at David and following his footsteps. And yet, in these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how David responded to trials. It's not easy to hear, honestly. It's not easy to implement. We've said that whatever is in your heart comes out or is exposed in a trial, right? Just like a tube of toothpaste, when it's squeezed, stuff comes out. When you're under pressure, stress, temptation, trials, suffering, an attack from a person or the enemy, whoever, whatever's inside of you comes out and it exposes your heart and it tests your heart. And, and we've said, I've showed you in the scripture times really, if you've been at this church for a while, that brings these trials, they're not from God. It's not like God's trying to fulfill the purpose and plan of your life and trying to kill you. No, it's the enemy trying to kill and destroy and to steal. It's God trying to get it done in your life. But these trials test and God looks at our heart to see how we're going to respond. Everything gets tested. Every promise God ever makes to you, it will be tested, I guarantee. Everything you ever, if you hear a word from God, and you say, hey, yeah, I'm going to walk in that, I'm going to obey God in that, I'm going to believe God's word, I'm going to believe that promise, or I'm going to walk in that, guaranteed, get ready for testing. You know, a man, a man says, I'm going to walk in purity, yeah, I'm done with, I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm going to get tested. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be a better husband. Whoa, going to get tested. Going to get tested. And that's what's going on in David's life. David had a high calling to lead God's people into their promise and to be a king, a man after God's own heart. David had that God had made to him. Everything going to get tested. And we've already seen, a couple weeks ago, we saw that David's faith was tested and he chose to worship God and bless God instead of blame God. And we saw last week that David's obedience was tested, that instead of going passive, instead of, instead of uh, uh, getting selfish, he served the Lord. He continued to be faithful to the calling of God on his life. He continued to do the ministry God had called him to. And he continued to listen to God. God, what do you want me to do? And to obey God. 
And so David, we've already seen that we can walk in his footsteps regarding these trials. We can, oh, we can follow in this footsteps that David, has pa- David passed the faith test. He passed the obedience test. And this morning I want to talk to you about the integrity test. This is probably the toughest one. This is the hardest one to talk about. This is the hardest one to, to really deal with in our life. And uh, so brace yourself. This will be unpleasant for some of you. But the integrity test, everything gets tested when you're in a trial. Everything gets exposed. So in 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 24, real quick, the context is that Saul is looking for King David. He finds out here in verse 1 that David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. We, uh, yeah, really, we record it, so for other people's sake, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep going on the microphone. So the context is that King Saul is chasing David. This is not the first and this is not the last, but he's, he's basically pursuing King David. And it says that, verse 3, so he, referring to Saul, came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. Basically, that's a euphemism for he was going to go to the bathroom. And so he went into the cave for some privacy from his men. He goes in. And uh, he probably took took off an outer garment or something like that. They usually wear those, you know, kind of different kinds of clothes than we do. And probably set his outer garment to the side and began to attend to his needs. And, And, you know, some men, it takes a little while for them, right? So that's the, basically the context of this. <laughs> that's why the Bible uses euphemisms. Much more discreet. So it says that David, this is in the end of verse 3, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they're in the dark recesses of the cave, and they can see out of the cave because there's light outside. You know how that is. They can see the outside of the cave, but people can't really see anything in the cave because of the way... You know, light works and all. Okay, verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, this is, this, is, this is where it gets intense. This is like the part of the movie where the music gets intense and, you know, like what's going to happen? Then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So the men, his own men, 600 men, and probably, you know, not all of them saying this, but like one or two, like really close friends of his, probably his close leaders, come up to him and say, David, David, this is the day. This is it. You kill him. This is it. It can all be done. We don't have to hide anymore. God promised you that he would be king. This is it. Right? It's over for you. It's over for us. We can end this. Just, this is it. You can kill him. 
And it's so interesting, isn't it, that they say God said. God said. Now, there is no evidence necessarily that they're telling the truth. Either, here's the two options. Either God actually told David this, or they're making it up. We don't know from the Bible. I think that God may have actually said this, because they don't say, oh, hey, maybe God, you know, it's, they're like, God, remember when God told you this? And then later, David actually says to Saul, the Lord delivered you into my hand. I'll show you that in a second. I think David actually knew this was a setup. This was a setup. So his men come to him and say, don't you remember God said he would do this? God said. They quote God. And even if they're not, they're at least trying to make it look like it, right? Even if God didn't really say it, they're like, dude, God said he'd deliver your enemy into your hand. And you could do like whatever you want. You could do what seemed good in your, in your sight. That must, you know, they're like, that must mean you could kill him. Talk about pure pressure, right? Talk about temptation. Come on, you have been, you're being chased by this guy. You haven't done anything wrong. You've lost everything. Everything. And then your men say, Right? You could, you could do this. You could do this. And even God said you could do this. Do you see what's going on? He's being tested. The opportunity is perfect, isn't it? Perfect. The opportunity is absolutely perfect. And if David were being led by circumstances and convenience and opening closed doors, he might have followed their advice. Not only is the circumstance totally like right there, but his men are encouraging it. People who are saying, hey, this is, a, this is a good idea. You should do this. You deserve this. It's your right. Then even to throw on top of that, that maybe even God is behind this. That's a lot of temptation. That's a lot of temptation. That's a lot of things that are going on in your heart. Can you imagine what David would be going through? In fact, I think that David was a little bit struggling. He probably wasn't 100% sure what to do. Because it says right here when they were encouraging him, the end of verse 4, and David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he gets really close to Saul with a knife, really close, and it says he cut the corner of his robe off. And then verse 5 says, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he had cut Saul's robe. Some suggest that by cutting the robe, it was an act of you know, rebellion, by kind of saying I'm cutting, because uh, uh, oftentimes like the robe is symbol of authority. So but it's very possible, that, that may not necessarily, I think sometimes that's reading too much into the text of the scripture. But at least he was getting pretty close. You know, have you ever been tempted and you start kind of playing with fire? You're tempted and you're dabbling a little bit, really wrestling with it. Basically your choice is on an edge of a knife. It could go this way, it could go that way. Or maybe even you start to disobey the Lord, you start to give in to sin or something like that, begins to really pull you. David could have really been struggling here. Here he is, he's sneaking up. And he's hearing in his head, this is the day that God said, God would give me my enemy into my hand. The Lord has delivered Saul into my hand. My men think it's a good idea. I mean, this is a great opportunity. How could this not be God? 
cuts off a corner of his robe, maybe entertaining the idea that he could ki- kill King Saul. Saul doesn't even know what's going on. And the moment he cuts off the robe, <gasps> his heart convicts him. doesn't say necessarily that the Lord convicted him. He doesn't even hear the Lord. Just his own heart troubled him. His own heart convicted him. And he felt bad. Why did he feel bad? Because he knew he was doing something wrong. He knew he was, he was tempted in that way. See, when we're in a trial, when we're suffering, when we're going through something hard, or when we're in a season where we're waiting for a promise from God, you're waiting for the desire of your heart, something you're longing for, and you get weary of waiting, that's when you're most tempted. That's when you're most tempted. And that's when you begin to think, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're lonely. You're lonely. And you begin to think, you begin to think, oh, I deserve this. I deserve this. Or people are coming after you. And you get that sense of righteousness. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know, I deserve better and I should do that. I can do this because it's my right. You begin to fight for your rights. You know, maybe a boss isn't treating you well. You do lose respect. You begin to be tempted, cut corners, not work as hard when they're not looking at you, maybe even steal. We're so tempted when we're in these kinds of trials. You've been waiting for God and waiting for God and waiting for God, maybe for a spouse to turn around or maybe for just a spouse, right? And waiting and waiting and waiting for the Lord to come through. And you begin to get a little weary of waiting or a little bit weary of serving God or a little bit weary of doing good. You're waiting, and the enemy comes in. How long are you going to wait? How do you know it's ever going to happen? And it's so tempting to make it happen ourselves, isn't it? Make the promise happen yourself. Remember when Abraham, he's waiting for a son, he's waiting for a son. And Sarah comes to him, hey, just sleep with my maidservant. Let's have a child through her. And he delays the promise of God, and he complicates a lot of things relationally by basically trying to bring the promise forth in his own strength. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph? Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, all alone. And this beautiful woman, Potiphar's wife, come sleep with me. Come on, sleep with me. Every day kept hounding him, hounding him. Sleep with me. And I, what has God done for me? He could have said. So lonely, he could have said. You know, could have said all those things. What did he do? I will not sin against my God. So tempting, isn't it? Cut corners, lie, steal a little bit of money. It's so tempting to make excuses, to justify our actions, especially when we're waiting for God and it doesn't seem like he's coming through. Doesn't seem like it, does it? It's so easy when we're in a relationship and the other person doesn't seem to be meeting our needs. Sometimes to our, our flesh, I'm going to get back at them. Many, I've heard of couples, you know, you know, say mean things or do mean things or even, you know, give in to lust or go waste some money on gambling. Just get back at them. So easy, isn't it? And so these... These 
trials, they test what's in our hearts. They, we're tempted. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that the Lord does not tempt us. It's not possible for him to tempt us. There's no wickedness in the Lord. But these circumstances and these things, they test and expose what's going on in our hearts. <clears throat> and you can see that David, just like any of us, was being tempted by the circumstance, by the convenience of opportunity. And he was being tempted by his peers, by his own men. Have you ever been going through something? Maybe you're going through a relational struggle, and you've got those people in your ear. No, no, they don't deserve your forgiveness. No, 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 you deserve better. Yeah, you should leave him. And it's so easy for us to listen to other people who do not have the counsel of the scriptures, who do not have the wisdom of God. You know, I'm all for counseling, as long as it's godly counsel. You, so often, we have people in our ears telling us to do things, and it's not from God. But it's hard, isn't it? Oh, but they think it's a good idea. They think I should do it, right? So tempting. And then there's this issue of God said? Wow. Now that's a big one. When either your friends say, but God said, or the word says, and maybe they twisted the word. You notice that God didn't say to David, let's just assume that God said to David, I'm going to deliver your enemy into your hands so you can do what seems good to you. What if God said, say that? What if God said that? Did God tell him to kill King Saul? Nope. Just said, I'm going to give you that opportunity for you to do what seems right. What if God did say that to him? See, it's very important, and you've heard me say this many times, and we talked about it last week. We are never to be led by our own understanding, by our feelings, by our emotions, by our circumstances, by opened and closed doors, a sign, by other people's opinions, or even by prophetic words from other people. Not saying that it's not from God. Because a person can give you a prophetic word, but you need, especially those of us in the New Testament where we have the Spirit of God inside of us, you need to test whether it's good. You need to test it against the word of God. You need to bring that into community. Many times I hear people, they live their life as a Lone Ranger Christian, and they're like, well, God told me. And they, t they use, you know, you're, you're, trying to, you know, you're trying to counsel them. You know, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, this is what the word says. Well, God told me. They use it like the trump card. Ain't, it does not work around here, okay? We don't manipulate each other with the voice of the Lord, God told me. I remember one time, somebody, I was talking to somebody, and they, they had separated from their wife and an uh, unhealthy person, uh, unhealthy couple, and they said, well, you know, I just, I just, I feel like God said that it's, it's, so it's good. You know, he said it's the right thing because there's just so much peace right now. I said, it wasn't God. So I told him, that wasn't God. You're wrong. I'll tell you why there's peace, because you guys are crazy. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I was much more gentle, used more words and everything like that, you know? But uh, there's, I said, there's peace because, because you're a person of conflict, and they're a person of conflict, and you now you're not next to each other right now. I mean, you know, I said, that's not the answer. That's false peace. It's the easy out. All right, we're that, we're that way in our culture, aren't we? And when you go through testing and you go through relational conflict, everything gets tested. Your values, your principles get tested. 
Do you care more about the relationship or you? Your convenience, right? Do you care more about the glory of God and the kingdom of God or your convenience? Your comfort, right? I've said to you before, you will have two competing values in your heart often. And when you go through something, when you're tempted or when you go through a trial, it gets tested. Which one wins? They will always collide and one of them will win. Do you value money and do you trust money to be your provider or God? Do you want God to get glory and his kingdom to be advanced or do you want your own success and, and, and all that? Is, is money and greed more important to you? Is lust and, and your own selfish pleasure more important to you or is it your covenant? Your, the relationship, right? Always will get tested. Always. And most of the things we go through are actually relational, aren't they? Just like what David was going through was relational, really. And so David, he's being tested by this opportunity. Well, God opened the door. God opened the door. I should go right through. This must be a sign, people would say. Being tested by these opinions of other people. And he's even being tested by the very word of God. The prophetic word of God. How will David interpret the word? Will he think, well, God said God said he would do this. So therefore, it must mean I could kill him. Will David walk in his own understanding? Will David interpret that? Will he base the interpretation of the prophetic word on what other people say, who can be wrong and misinterpret? Or will he base it on something else? See, I'd like to suggest to you that David, he didn't know what God was saying. When we're tempted, many times, you don't have time to go and pray. See, there are forks in the road in your life. You don't have time to be like, hold on a sec, time out. Time out, life. You ever notice that? Life doesn't really do the time out thing. Time out. Pause the video game. Reset, restart the video game. Life's not a video game, right? Life happens. Joseph couldn't be like, oh, um, Potiphar's wife, hold, time out. I need to pray about it. I need to ask God if it's okay if I sleep with you as a single man and cheat on your husband. I need to pray about that. He doesn't have time to think about that. You don't have time. In fact, what do you do when your hormones are raging? Or what do you do when your anger is raging? What do you do when all of your emotions are going crazy? What do you do? What do you do when, you know, the lights, you know, the, the, you know, the, you know like, think of a, like a, an airplane. And all the, all, the, all the dials and all the numbers and all the things are just going crazy. What is it? You're flying through the clouds. You can't see anything. All the devices are messed up. What do you do? What do you do when you're tested and you're tempted 
And you're like, I don't know what to do. And you're torn between two decisions, fork in the road. It happens to every single one of us. There are times you don't have time to go and pray. You don't have time to think about it. And other times you do. And you're like, I have no idea what God is saying right now. I am so overwhelmed by the circumstance. I'm so torn. I'm so overwhelmed by the, my own emotions. Yeah? Many times you hear Dave Turner. I tell you guys all the time, what's God saying? And there are many times people go, I don't know. I know. I don't say it to like make people feel bad or be religious. And a lot of times when I sit with people and they're going through really hard times, I'll make sure I'm gentle. You know, I don't use the voice of the Lord thing religiously or to beat people up or anything. But I'll say to them, what do you think God's saying right now? Where are you at? Just, not just, you know, dialoguing with them. I don't know. That's okay. I'll tell them. It's okay. It's all right. It's not like you have to. Or... And sometimes you just kind of draw out of them if people are really honest. They'll know. But... Not always. What do you do? What do you do when you can't hear God? What does David do when he's in the midst of this cave and he's in this split-second decision and he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't, he's not sure what God is saying? What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You live by principle. You live by the truth of God's word. And as I've said to you before, when you're tested, it exposes what's already in your heart. When you're tempted and you're tested, that's not the time to learn or to get purity or to get faith or to build up your heart against the deceitfulness of wealth or the fear of man or peer pressure. That's not the time to build up your faith. Just like it's not time to learn how to shoot a gun when you go to Iraq. You know what I'm saying? Here, just drop you off in the middle. What about basic training? No, it's okay. You'll be all fine. Learn as you go. Just learn as you go, you know? God doesn't do that. Now, sometimes he wants to teach you and train you. He wants you to be in the word every day. He wants you to be meditating his word, seeking his face, because he know what's, knows what's going to happen. And so often we are passive. So often we don't go to church. I don't know why I should go to church. Because we don't know. God has a word for you there. God has people there who are going to speak to you, encourage you, build you up. Sometimes we don't realize you're going to need that faith. I'm telling you, I'm not prophesying that bad things are going to happen to you. I, I, for sure, I know no weapon formed against us shall prosper, so light it up. Bring it on. Ha! You can't win. You throw something at me, but I ain't going to win. But I will say, the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them from them all. So I'm not, I'm not prophesying that you're going to go through bad times, but I just know life. Everything always gets tested. Every person gets tested. You want to walk with Jesus, it's going to be hard stuff. In fact, I mean, you want to not walk with Jesus, it's going to be worse stuff. You know, you walk with Jesus, it's not easier, it's just better. It's just the, the, the highway. So the reality is, you're either going through junk right now, or you're going to go through it at some point. And you're going to, have to, te- you're going to be tested. So look at what David does. So David was troubled in his heart in verse 5. I'm not sure 100%, but it looks like David may have been like contemplating actually doing this. He gets troubled that he would actually even cut off the robe of his master. Even just to do that troubled his heart because he felt like it was an, a, 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 maybe not an act of rebellion, but at least a disrespect to King Saul. At least he felt, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I, that was disrespectful. He, he felt convicted even at the motive of his own heart. 
And he says here in, uh, in verse 5, or I'm sorry, in verse 6, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that, the, that, the, uh, that he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. So he literally separates his men from Saul. You know what I'm saying? If you've got all these men, you're like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Do you see what happened? David's tempted. He's tempted. He's tempted. He gets real close. He cuts this, this, this piece of cloth off of his, uh, Saul's garment, and then he goes, no, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do this. In his heart, something pierces his heart, and he, I can't do this. And what rises up out of his heart, you poke David, you push David, and this is what comes out. I cannot kill the Lord's anointed. Can't do this. What is he basing that on? Principle. He said, no, I can't do that. That would be wrong. And he literally pushes his men back and tells him, we're not doing this. You don't get to kill him. Then it gets crazier. Saul leaves, walks out, and David follows after him. He probably followed him at a distance because it says that David called out to him in verse 8. David also arose afterward, after Saul, went out of the cave, and called out to him. The word is like calling out at a far distance. So Saul's probably went down the rocks, and there's some distance between them, and there's some rocks separating them. And, but come on, you're in a cave with your men, and there's 3,000 men outside the cave? Like, dumb idea, right? Dumb idea if you don't trust God. But David, as we've said before, was a man of faith. He was so convinced that God would do what he said. So convinced that God would not let him die, that God would judge and vindicate him, that God would deliver him, and that God would fulfill his promise, and he would be king. He was so convinced in his heart that he walks out of the cave, calls out to King Saul, and bows his face to the ground. It says right there, called out, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. That's faith, in my opinion. Verse 9. And David says to Saul, listen to what he says in verse 9. Why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand. Did you see that? The Lord delivered you into my hand. Do you see that? So David believes, no, God set that up. But that's why we're not led by open doors. Just because God did that doesn't mean that you get to just do whatever you want. God delivered you into my hands today, he says. But look, says, um, <clears throat> he says, God delivered you into my hands, and someone urged me to kill you. So he says, hey, God delivered you in my hand, and, and my men were like telling me, kill him, kill him. And he tells Saul that. But he listened, but my eye spared you. It's mercy, it's a statement of mercy. But my eye spared you, I had mercy on you. And I said, listen to what David said in his heart, because now he's telling Saul what's in his heart. I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, he calls him his father, not just as his king, but he's his father-in-law, right? My father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. So he holds up the corner of, of Saul's robe. He says, hey, look, you know, Saul probably looking down. Hey, look at you, look at that. I got a square in my robe. And he looks down and he sees it and he says, See the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Basically showing him, I was right next to you, buddy. 
I could have killed you. You would have never known what hit you. And he says to him, and he says, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not rebelling against you. And he says, I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. I'm not doing anything to you, but you're trying to kill me. And then he says this in verse 12. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord judge me on you. Do you see where his faith lies? Not in King Saul. So often our faith is in men. That's why we get mad. That's why we retaliate. That's why we fight back on my rights. That's why we cheat and justify our actions because we trust men. We trust this world to provide. He says David is bowing his face to the ground. You don't walk in this kind of integrity if you don't fear God and believe that God will come through for you and vindicate you because of what's in your heart. God sees and knows your heart. And he bows his face and he says to Saul, let God judge between you and me. God will avenge me. Later, um, David actually had a second chance to kill King Saul. God put King Saul and all his men in a deep sleep. David walks right up to him. His man says to him, I'll, I'll pin his head to the ground with his own spear. Let me do it, David. I'll do it for you. And David says, no, 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 no. You can't touch the Lord's anointed and not be guiltless. He says, listen, listen. Either he'll die in battle, God will judge him, or his time will come and he'll just die. But I, he says, but my hand will not be against the Lord's anointed. So David believed. God's going to do it some way, but I'm not going to make it happen in my own strength out of sin. There are times when we need to obey God and do what he says to fulfill his promise. There's other times you just wait. This is not time yet, and you don't try to make it happen. So he says this. He says, there's no rebellion in my hand. Uh, verse 12, let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But listen, but my hand shall not be against you. Do you hear that? But my hand. Let the Lord avenge me, but my hand will not be against you. You see the difference? God will do it. But as for me, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do what's wrong. And he goes on and he says, as the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. He's saying wicked people do wicked things. It's the same thing when Jesus says later, Jesus says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. We've said that before many times here. The root you have a root problem. I'm sorry, if you have a fruit problem, you have a root problem, right? What you produce in your life proves who you are. And David is saying, if I kill you, I'm like you. If I kill you, it shows what's in my heart is wickedness, selfishness, wanting, wanting the kingship for my own benefit. He says, no, 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 no. I don't want to be king for my benefit. No, God promised me for, to be king for, so I could serve the Lord. Why would I kill Saul, who's the Lord's anointed? That's God's choice. God chose King Saul. It's not my job to take him out. See, David understood, man, this is God's thing. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to do it in my own strength. And David also understood what you sow, you reap. Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked in Galatians 6. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. You know, oftentimes people do stuff, you know, maybe even pastors. They do stuff. They get caught. And it shakes our faith. Let me tell you, God is not mocked. That person's reaping what they sowed. And it does hurt us. And it breaks our trust when, when men of God or women of God do things. And, and I'm telling you, God, don't be deceived. Listen to what King, uh, Paul says, Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. 
And David understood that. David understood the forgiveness of God. You know, David made some mistakes. You might be even thinking, David's a man of integrity. What about 20 years from now when David, you know, does the whole Bathsheba and Uriah thing? Well, listen, you can't judge David in his 20s based on something he's going to do, right? Just because we know the end of the story doesn't mean he did. In this circumstance, he was a man of integrity. We'll, we'll look at why he made that mistake with Bathsheba and Uriah 20 years or so later. But here, in this time, he walks in integrity, and he says, My hand will not be against Saul. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, he says in verse 13, basically saying, I'm not going to do this. He repeats the phrase again, But my hand shall not be against you. Two times he says that. My hand will not be against you. Verse 14, After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. See what David's doing? See, this is, this is integrity. The word integrity comes from the Latin word that means wholeness. Something undivided, whole, integrated. Integrity. It's referring to something or someone, someone who, is, who lives consistently by values or principles. When you're walking in the flesh, you're led by your own emotions and by your own interpretation of things. But when you walk in the Spirit, not only do you hear God, but you also live by principle consistently. Integrity, some people say, well, integrity is who you are when nobody's watching. Well, not in this case. David's integrity was when everyone was telling him, you should do this. Integrity was, I don't live by your opinion. I will not stand before you on the judgment day. I will stand before God. You know, husbands and wives, you will not stand together. You will stand before God on your own. And God will say, did you do what I said? Now, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not for whether we're going to go to heaven or not. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're saved. But you will stand before him and you will give an account for how you lived or stewarded Christ's life here on this earth. My point is, that's the fear of the Lord. When we're walking in the flesh, it's about the temporary pleasures and conveniences. When we walk in the Spirit, it's, by, it's because of eternal realities. And it's because of God and His kingdom. And see, what's going on here is David is not being led by anything else other than the truth of God's word. Principle. The principle was, I will honor this man that God put in a position of kingship. I will honor him no matter how dishonorable he is or disrespectful he is. No matter if he's trying to kill me, my hand will not do the same thing he's doing to me. I will not allow wickedness to proceed from me. Even if he is wicked, I will not be wicked. Even if he is disrespectful to me, I will not dishonor him by killing him because he is the Lord's anointed. David was choosing to honor a man who did not necessarily deserve honor in our eyes, but deserved honor because God put him there, called him the Lord's anointed. That's a principle that David believed from the word, the truth. That's what integrity is, to walk consistently according to values or principles. Where do you get that from? Word. Hence why our culture is so confused. And it's not just people who are outside the church. We like to sit around and talk about how our cult world's values are all messed up. But the last time I checked, 
people are leaving their spouses in the church too. That's not called living consistently according to values, which say till death do us part. If it kills me, I will keep my covenant that I made before God and that person. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen to me. Why do we tithe? Not because it looks like I'm being blessed. Not because I feel like it. We tithe because he said it. Why do I go to church and gather with you? Not because I feel like it. Do you hear me? But because I need it. Why do I read my Bible every day? Because I feel so excited every day to read my Bible and I get these goosebumps or because I need it, because he said to. Do you see what I'm saying? Why do I walk in purity? Why do I walk in honesty? See, we have, we have rules and boundaries in our life because like I said when you're in Iraq that's not the time to figure out which way to go or I mean to learn how to shoot a gun and when you're being tempted that's not the time to go hmm now what are my values that's not the time And whatever's in your heart will come out in those trials. Whether or not you value the relationship and forgiveness and honoring God, or you value yourself. We have spiritual disciplines so that we'll live in consistency. Consistent. Reading the word. Being in fellowship. Giving to God. We do that. Because they keep us on track, consistent. I live my life by principles that God has revealed to me. Things that I have rules, rules that I give myself so that I don't go down certain paths. Let me tell you something. You're looking at a good movie. I'm t- Dave Turner, looking at a good movie. This is just me, right? Looking at a good movie. Oh, that would be good. Check the ratings. Nudity. Well, stinks to be them. They ain't getting my money. Can't do it. Rules. Now, I'm not saying there hasn't been times where, oh, oops, you know, dang it, should have checked. I'm not saying I haven't messed up. You know, Holy Spirit saying, don't, no, don't watch that movie. And we do it anyways. Dang it, you know. <laughs> Go quick, turn it off, close your eyes, whatever, you know. You say, oh, Dave, that's strict. Yeah, but I walk in freedom. My wife can trust me. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, even, uh, like I said, tithing. You know, sometimes you tithe and you tithe. and you. But you know, a lot of times people, oh, I tithe. But I'm telling you, I, consistent, right? Consistent. No matter what. Even recently, you know, a couple years ago, tithing. Man, I'm not really seeing the blessing. Because I've always seen blessing. You know, I'm just telling you, I tithe, I see God come through. And there's times where you're like, dang, that's getting tough. Man. And I'll tell you, I stopped uh, for a season, I stopped being consistent in giving above the tithe as an offering to the Lord, free offering to the Lord. Maybe a tiny bit. But I had stopped giving above. Oftentimes we give above the tithe freely to the Lord. And the Lord came to me and said, David, Whatever a man, he says, if you reap, uh, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. 
our Lord. Pick that back up again. Or give Bill both the tithe. This is just something the Lord told me. What's he saying? You live by principle. You do it because I promised, not because you see it or feel it. And you know what's interesting? Out of that season, in fact, actually part of the reason why there was some tightness is the Lord had told me. I remember it was like a December, January time. The Lord said, give me a sacrifice. I told my wife, she said, we do. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I mean, my wife's a godly woman, but I'm just saying, you know, that's how, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make her like look bad. I mean, but she was like, we do sacrifice. Because you know where that money's coming from. It's coming from savings and everything, right? And she's thinking, I could do a lot with that money. And I go, well, the Lord told me to give a sacrifice. I asked the Lord what it was and to who, and we gave a sacrifice you know, a while back. And it was after that season that things got even harder. But I'll tell you, do it because he said, do it because the word says, and, and out of that has come blessing, tremendous blessing. More than financial, but definitely financial. The Lord knows. <clears throat> we live by principle. See, this is the truth that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5. You love your enemy. You bless those who curse you. You do good. Serve those who persecute you or, or treat you spitefully, right? And you turn the other cheek. What was he trying to tell us? I love David's phrases. He says, the Lord will avenge me, but my hand will not be against you. What is he saying? I'm responsible for me. You know, that's what responsibility means, right? The ability to respond. You are responsible. I am responsible for my response to you, to my circumstances. I am responsible for my choices that I make. And praise God for his grace. There is no character. There is no blessing in my life except for the grace of God. But for the grace of God, there go I. But by his grace, the Bible says that we're dead to sin alive to God. We have the very spirit of God living inside of us. The Bible says that his grace teaches us to say no to sin. He's empowered us, given us everything we need. The Bible says his word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet, that the entrance of the word brings light. He has given to us the things we need. And we do fall short, I know. But by his grace, he totally forgives. His mercy is there and he empowers us to walk in his ways. By the grace of God. But you are responsible for your choices. You will reap what you sow. Jesus didn't like, you know, turn off that principle when he died on the cross. Still true today. And David knew it. I'm responsible for my heart and my actions. I do this with my kids all the time. Let's say one of my kids hit somebody, just hypothetically. Let's say one of my kids lied. Or one of my kids made a, um, a set of bad not a nice, like a, you know, not like a, like a dirty word, but like a not nice thing that they said to somebody. You know what I tell them? Whose hands are these? Whose hands are these? My hands. They usually say their name, you know. Whose mouth is this mouth? My mouth. Who's responsible for you? See, that's what Jesus was teaching us. No matter what somebody does to you, you are responsible for you. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach us when he said, turn the other cheek. You don't base your integrity or your choices on the actions of others. You live 
by the Spirit. And sometimes you don't know what God is saying, so you live by principle. You say, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So I will just do what I know that the Word says. And that's the only way to know whether you're getting good or bad counsel from people too. It's the only way for you to interpret whether that is a prophetic word from God or how to apply that prophetic word to your life. That's integrity. Honesty. There are people who read the word and twist the word of God for their own ends. They've done it since the Bible was written. The Bible warns us about people who twist the word. But there is one interpretation. It's that clear. The Bible is clear what is God's ways and right and wrong. There are things sometimes how to apply certain things can be not always easy. But most of the word of God is just so clear. Yet we twist it. We ignore it. We have selective hearing and selective listening. But listen to me. The entrance of the word brings light. Why is it that David's heart troubled him? Did you see that? David's heart troubled him. Why? Because the entrance of the word brings light. God wants to speak to you and guide you. But he also wants you to be a mature Christ follower who walks in his ways. Which means when you walk with God, you get to know God. And you get to know his ways. And he tells you his ways and even his secrets of his heart. If you walk with God, you know his ways. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, God is light. He walks in light. And if you are walking with God, you will walk in light. You cannot walk with God and not walk in light. If you're having hidden sin, lying, you're not walking with God. You cannot walk with a holy God and not walk in holiness. Amen? That doesn't mean that we don't sin. It means that we confess that sin. That's what the Bible says. So if you, if you sin, confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's how you get in the light. Get it out. And so you say, how, how is it that David's heart convicted him? David's heart convicted him. Why? Because he had the word in his heart. The word in us. How do you build up your faith? How do you cultivate integrity? How do you know what way to go? You've got to walk with God. You've got to be in the Word and let the Word of God shine on you. Shine on you. I told you last week, most of the time I hang out with God, He's just telling me how much He loves me and correcting me at the same time. Adjusting my motives. Correcting the way I see things. Telling me to do things differently. I remember being a new believer. I'd open the Bible every day. I could, every day, your tongue. Next day, your tongue. You need to say wholesome words. You need to do, you know what I'm saying? I remember being a new believer. I used to lie all the time, you know, to avoid getting in trouble. You know, I was like really good at it as a kid. It probably wasn't good. I'm being silly. And I remember one time as a new Christian, I lied to a professor. High school, convicted by the Lord, right? I went up to this professor and told him that I lied. And praise God for mercy, right? You know, he did the right thing and I got mercy, but I may not have. See, integrity you suffer the consequences too. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, but I'm putting my trust in your mercy. You need to do something illegal or suffer the consequences. Pray for God's mercy. You make it right. You, you bring restitution to things. You stole something, you make restitution. 
You didn't pay your taxes, you make restitution. Right? Did something illegal, you make restitution. You'd make it right. This is what the word calls us to. Even if it hurts, we do what's right. People, there's people out there, well, God wants me to be happy. I deserve better. Right? How about those guys, Daniel's friends? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they said to, they said to the king, they, 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 they were told, bow down and worship. We're going to throw you in the fire. They said, they said this, even if you throw us in the fire, we will worship God, only our God. And God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your idol. Uh, if they would have died, we would have celebrated their faithfulness. You know? And there are people we do. We celebrate their faithfulness, that even to death they were faithful to our God. But God delivered them. Amen? They went through that fire, and, and Jesus showed up in the fire and delivered them. And they weren't even burned or anything. But let me tell you, that's integrity. That's called honesty. That's called, I said I'm a follower of Christ. I will follow Christ. When your values compete, do you really seek first the kingdom? Is it really about him? And that you would stand before, honestly, dying for Christ is really just integrity. That I believe Jesus and I will follow Jesus even if it takes my life. And that's what those men were doing. You can kill us, we will still worship God. Instead of saying, well, if God was really good, I mean, he wouldn't let me go through this. He wouldn't let me have, you know, if God was good and, you know, blah, blah, blah. and we do that kind of stuff. We say these things. It's not true. We're blaming God. We're accusing him, aren't we? Instead of doing what David did, worship the Lord and walk in integrity. You know, as a new Christian, I could tell you a lot of things that the Lord has dealt with me on. A lot of issues of purity and a lot of issues of lying, like I just mentioned. A lot of issues with finances. Well, probably one of the things that I had the hardest time in was submitting to leaders. You might, you might see on the outside that I was like, you know, gung-ho, help out, serve. But in my heart, I was critical and judgmental. And my, our pastor, Dave Metzger, who founded this church, a spiritual mentor to me, man, I feel bad for him, right? And I was, was not submitted to him, did not walk in that way. And the Lord used this kind of story and other things to reveal to me the selfishness in my heart and my offense towards leaders and my offense towards God began to show me how to walk in honor. The great thing is, Pastor Dave Metzger, he's a man of God. He's a King David. The Lord would show me that. He'd say, God would say, he's a King David. He's not a Saul. He's a King David. You're the Saul. Mm, That's true. And I began to realize I needed to submit to him. But what if he was a Saul? God would have still submit to him. You honor him. Because of the position, you honor him. And the Lord began to teach me how to do that. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to learn. And yet over the years, Dave Metzger was patient with me, and over the years, I learned how to honor him. I learned how to own his vision and get behind him. I learned how to speak words of honor. I remember when I first started calling him pastor. He hated being called pastor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Call him sir. Pastor, you know, Pastor Dave... I'm call him pastor. Don't call me pastor. No, pastor, I need to call you pastor. It's not about him. He wasn't prideful, so he wasn't all about titles. I, said, I need to do that. God's teaching me how to honor. And I remember people later on, after I learned this, people would dishonor him. I get so mad. Back in the day, I'd be the person being critical, but you know, you start to, your value system changes. I've watched people. I've heard stories in this church 
people having conflict in their workplace. Remember, uh, there was a gentleman in our church having conflict with a boss for years. And always, God change him, God change him, God change him. It's him, it's him, it's him. Blaming and doing this. Finally, a lot because we talk about this at this church, that he realized, I'm the problem. And he began to honor this man who he didn't respect and thought he did things bad and thought he wasn't a good leader. And he began to honor him simply as his boss. The crazy thing is, everything changed. He began to get favor with this boss. This boss began to speak honor of him and bless him. In fact, later the boss actually left, maybe either a different position or maybe a different job, whatever he was leaving, and he honored this person. Major breakthrough. All the, all, can you imagine? I'm not getting promotion. I'm not getting promotion. And we look at the man. We look at the person. And then we think we have the right to dishonor and respect, whether in their face or behind the scenes. And that's the problem. I'm telling you, I've watched it happen in my own relationship with my wife where God will say to me, and this is just because normal husband-wife kinds of stuff, you know, we've been married 10 years and there's been times where we've had conflict or just not feeling close or not feeling loved, both, both sides, right? And just tough stuff. And you can continue to walk in the flesh. You can continue to make excuses and you will literally perpetuate that conflict or that other person not feeling loved. I don't feel motivated. They don't feel motivated. You can do that. But I would seek God and cry out to God that he would change her. And the Lord would say, you're the problem. You're the problem. Now, it's not to say she didn't have things that she needed to work on. I think God just doesn't tell us that part. Let me be honest with you. He wants to talk to you about you, not the other person, you. And later, the Lord can deal with the other person. The Lord can deal with the other person on the other side of it. There's times for that. But he came to me, you need to do this. You need to do that. And I began to change my heart, my attitude. You know, fine, I'm going to serve her. I'm going to serve. Fine, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm gonna start serving her. The Lord say, you know, you're robbing the whole joy out of it. You ain't blessing yourself and you ain't blessing your wife. Serving her like that. Man, change my attitude. Change, okay, I'm going to do it unto you. And ultimately, this is what it comes down to. This is the fear of the Lord. I'm going to do it for God. I'm going to do it for the Lord. You know, a lot of times people, men, struggle with purity. And they're single. Oh, when I get married, God hasn't brought that. Per- they get mad at God. They, they think, oh, I'll just look at that bad, impure thing because, well, God hasn't brought that spouse yet, so I'm mad at God. Wait till you get married. It doesn't fix everything. Amen, husbands, right? You still have to choose to walk in purity. I remember being a young man. I'm going to walk in purity for God. For God to fear the Lord. And then you get married, and you know what? It's just different. As a married man, the temptation is different. Not the same, but it's, di- it, it's still there. Different things go on. Different things happen throughout the years. And as a married man, I had, you know, Lord, as a single man, I did it for you. Why does that change? Why is it, you know, you're dating and you're so loving to one another, you know, to change the, the issue. You're loving to one another and you get married and all of a sudden, Expectations! And now who the person you love is your enemy. You want to know why? Because of the selfishness in your own heart, the Bible says. Why, why didn't you do it for the Lord? Why don't you do it for those? Re- right, so back to the purity thing. I had to say to the Lord, or even the serving thing, the Lord said, do it unto me. Do it unto me. I'll tell you, that's the only pure motive. And that's what's going to shift your heart, and then that gives breakthrough in the marriage. But even in the purity thing, Tempted as a married man. Lord, 
Man, I walked in purity because you told me to when I was a single man. I did it unto you. Well, you know, hmm, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that now. You know I was being tempted. I'm going to do that now. Lord, this is not about my wife. This is not about other people. This is about you. I'm going to walk in integrity before you and fear you. And that's what causes people to get honest and get accountability. And that's what causes people to change and to grow and to work on stuff. That's what brings blessing because what you sow, you reap. Amen? So when you don't know what God is saying, we've got to learn to live by principle. Lead us in response, babe.